You know, there's a popular thought that goes around today. There's a lot of popular thoughts that are just wrong. (laughs) I hope you know that. That Satan is in hell. Satan's not in hell. Satan has never, ever, ever, ever been in hell. That's his future home in the lake of fire. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We spent the past few months in the book of Revelation, a challenging and prophetic book, but one that, if properly understood, gives great accurate insight into the future. Today, we're in the middle of chapter 12 in a message entitled, Israel's Great Escape. We previously looked at the nature and background of the devil, and today we'll get some insight into how the devil will be stopped during the time of tribulation, and by application, we'll see how we can stop him in his schemes to undermine us. If you were here last time in verses 7 through 10, we witnessed a war in heaven between Michael and his angels. Look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. Now, that's kind of a shock to the system because we don't typically think of a war in heaven. Now, we often think of war on earth, and so if some new war was announced that's taking place on earth, we wouldn't be shocked because that's been the history of man from the beginning. Yet when you read of a war in heaven, you're kind of taken back. Now, some people have forgotten that Satan and his fellow fallen angels have access into heaven. There's a well-intentioned but mistaken teaching in our day that no evil can enter into the presence of God, meaning Satan and his fallen angels can never go into heaven. No, that's not true until the very end of the age when God rids all evil out of the whole universe when he creates a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, and then nothing will enter into his heaven that will defile it. But this passage reminds us, like many others, like in the book of Job, that Satan has access into the presence of God. Now, God has no fellowship with evil, but nonetheless, Satan has access, but someday he'll be removed. Let me give you a preview from Revelation chapter 21. There we read, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. You know, every once in a while, someone calls me in the Bible line, and they say, Well, wait a minute, Pastor. If man fell once, couldn't he fall again in heaven? If Satan created perfect fell, couldn't we ultimately in eternity fall? No, 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 no. Now, had Adam and Eve eaten from the tree of life before they fell, they would have been sealed forever. When we come to the end of the Revelation, we're going to see the recipients in heaven, you and I included, are going to eat from the tree of life just as a reminder of our security. But this verse says it all. There will no longer be any death no longer any mourning, crying, or pain, since the wages of sin is death, and the promise is that there's no more death, and the promise is there's no more sin, and sin, of course, is what causes mourning and crying and pain.
pain. And if those things will never occur again, then sin can never occur again. But right now, Satan has access to the throne of God. Now, that access is going to be cut off at some point. Now, we discovered last time that his pre-fall name was Lucifer. And many Christians today, they hear the word Lucifer, and they think it's an evil name. Actually, it's a beautiful, magnificent name that God gave him. It translated means the shining one. And it described him in his pre-fallen state. And we saw that Satan had limited access even after his fall. Here's that chart I gave you right at the end of the sermon. We didn't have much time to discuss it. But the four stages of Satan's career. First, his fall from heaven. And so we studied Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 and Luke 10. And then his fall to the earth. That's introduced to us in this chapter. Hasn't happened yet. Then his future fall into the abyss. And then his final fall into the lake of fire. Verse 4 says, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. When Satan fell from heaven, he was given limited access. He was once a permanent resident of heaven, whereas the anointed cherubim, like a musical instrument, he led the holy angels in worship of the living God. But at one point, wanting to make himself like God, Jesus can say, I was watching when Satan fell from heaven like lightning. He decided he was too wise, too wonderful, too mighty to be anything less than God. And so he sought to exalt himself above the stars of God. And we saw that the word stars is used two ways in Revelation and in the rest of the Bible. Of the literal stars you look up in the night sky, but also of angels who are called the stars of God. We use sometimes the term loosely. We say he's a movie star. He's a sports star, not a literal star, but uh, an exalted person of sorts. And of course, once he rebels against God, he still has access to heaven. Remember there, the Bnei Elohim, the sons of God with Satan come into the presence of God and says, look at your servant Job. The only reason he falls you is because you bought him. Take it all away and we'll see what he's made of. He had access to rebel against God. In fact, uh, look at verse 8. And they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place in heaven found for them. And the great dragon was thrown down, the servant of old who's called the devil, who deceives the whole world. And so there's coming a time when while Satan right now has temporary access as the prince of the power of the air, there's coming a time when he will no longer have any access at all in the heavenly realm. He'll never be able to enter into the throne room of God. He will be permanently cast out of heaven. And when he and his angels, and we learn only from the revelation, the number of angels that rebelled, one-third of all the holy angels that were created rebelled with Satan. Out of hundreds of billions of angels, one-third rebelled, but we still got two on our side, right, <laughs> for everyone. But when he falls to the earth, there's going to be double wrath on the earth. Not just the wrath of the Lamb, as Revelation 6 expresses it, but also the wrath of Satan. So Satan is on his way down. First, he fell from his lofty place as the anointed cherub. Secondly, he will be cast literally to the earth, and he will spend the last 
of these uh, last half of the seven years, three and a half years, there's going to be hell on earth, literally. It's going to be awful. You don't want to be here, and you don't have to be here if you know Jesus is your Savior. But when we come to Revelation 20, we'll see his third downfall, where for a thousand years he's put in the abyss. And we're going to see how important understanding that truth is to your own salvation and understanding just how fallen we are and how great God is in all of His grace. And the fourth and final fall will be into the lake of fire. At the end of the thousand years, He'll be loose for a short period of time. He'll institute one final rebellion, and then forever He will be cast into the lake of fire. You know, there's a popular thought that goes around today. There's a lot of popular thoughts that are just wrong. I hope you know that, that Satan is in hell. Satan's not in hell. Satan has never, ever, ever, ever been in hell. That's his future home in the lake of fire. And if you are following him when you die, you'll be there with him forever. You say, well, I don't follow the devil, pastor. Well, the question is, are you a part of God's kingdom through a second birth? For unless you've been born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You may not think you're following Him, but if you're not a part of God's kingdom, if you've gone past the age of accountability, you're in the kingdom of darkness. And unless you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, you don't want to die that way, believe me. Now, that brings us into Israel's great escape. That's the backdrop. If you're taking notes this morning, there are several truths I want to underscore in your thinking. First, Israel's escape. Uh, I want you to see how Israel escapes Satan's condemnation. Let's think about how Israel escapes Satan's condemnation. Now, we left off in verse 10, and verse 10 is really a hinge verse setting us up for what will take place in verses 11 through 17. So let me read it again. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. When Satan is cast down, you know those who are in the Father's house right now, they're going to they're gonna rejoice. There's going to be a lot of thanksgiving. He is the tormentor. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the arch enemy of every true child of God, and he will be forever expelled. And right now this morning, Satan and his evil following imps are accusing God's people. But there is going to come a time, listen, as I preach, he may be accusing one of you this morning, but there's coming a time when God will say, Michael, enough is enough. No more with Satan here. And so there'll be a phonane samion. Phonane, we get our word phonograph, voice, samion, a great sign that will result in a phonane megane. We get our word mega. We think of something that's big when we think of mega. And so we translated a loud voice. A shout is going to echo through heaven. And just like this morning at the end of the song, you guys clapped and you got excited. I promise all of heaven is going to get excited when this happens because this one will never again be able to make an accusation against us. Last sound that will be heard will be the lingering sound of our Savior making a defense before us, for us. You know, he does that. 
Paul says in Romans 8, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. But one day yet future, revealed here in Revelation 12, there'll be a brief battle where Satan will be sent packing. That hissing evil servant who continually day and night accuses God's people either directly or through his servants, he is going to be cast out of heaven. Listen, he mocks God's people. Did you see so-and-so, God? Jesus, did you see that person? He claims to be one of your born-again ones. And Jesus will plead and intercede with his nail-scarred hands. Before the throne of God, I have above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. We sing it. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. God forever defends you before his throne of grace. The accuser of the brethren will literally be thrown down. And when he is thrown down, Israel is going to experience a form of persecution like they have never, ever seen. So what I want you to see this morning are three weapons that you see the tribulation saints utilized before they were martyred and brought to heaven. Three weapons that they use that are still available to God's people today that if you want victory over your foe, the Satan, then you need to utilize them. First, I want you to notice from verse 11, they use the blood of the lamb. They use the blood of the lamb. We're told, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. Now, when you read verse 11, a careful reader will ask, who is the they that overcame the lamb? The they are the brethren that are described in verse 10. Those tribulation saints who were martyred, literally, Revelation 20 will tell us they were martyred by having their heads cut off because they refused to follow Satan's false Christ. And so, certainly, they're included, and I suppose any other believer who had been raptured prior who utilized some of these same tools that are available to you today. Our brethren includes you and me, because why? Who's here in heaven with the tribulation saints? The church. We're caught up through an open door. We're there in the portals of heaven witnessing what God is doing as He is unfolding this war in heaven and as Satan and his angels are cast down to the earth. And so Satan accuses us day and night, and they overcame because of the blood of the Lamb. That's the power. They didn't overcome by holy water from the Jordan River. <laughs> one, of, one of our people took a bottle of, of holy, holy water, Jordan water. It was actually pretty muddy, and they brought it home from the Jordan. They poured it into their baptism. And look, there's nothing magical about that water any more than the water that's behind me this morning. There's nothing magical about some heavenly gem that hangs from your rearview mirror as some little statuette that you put on your dashboard. For that matter, there's nothing magical about giving some kind of incantation where you, quote-unquote, bind the evil one. The victory is not in binding Satan. The victory is through the blood of the Lamb. The victory is through and by means of the life blood of Jesus that was shed. Remember what Peter said, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life 
inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You can almost hear the accuser say, just look at what that person who calls himself a Christian did. Look at all of his sins. Look at all of his failures. Look at the mess that he's made again. How do you respond to that? You say, you're right. I'm a sinner. I've made a mess of my life again. Yes, I did what I shouldn't have done. But may I remind you, evil one, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Mr. Devil, you seem to have forgotten that my sins were all, not partly, but completely nailed to that cross. You have conveniently forgotten, but I have not forgotten that when Jesus shed his innocent, sinless blood, he shed it for me, and so he defeated you and all of your principalities through the blood of the cross. And so Paul can say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so they were nullifying the accusations of Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb. For it is the blood of the Lamb that positionally renders every believer righteous in God's sight, but it is also through the blood of the Lamb that experientially allows you to find and realize that victory. Listen, Satan is sailing a sinking ship. Satan is ruling a falling, failing domain. And you need to claim your victory or he's going to wreak havoc in your life. Do you remember what 1 John 1, 7 said? But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another and with God. By the way, sometimes, you know, when, when I see someone who's running from me as a believer, I know there's a problem. They're hiding, not from me, they're hiding from God. It's interesting. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he doesn't say we have fellowship with God. Now, he affirms that truth earlier. But he affirms we have fellowship with one another. Where's the last place a born-again, blood-bought child of God wants to be when they have harbored sin in their life? With God's people. But as we're walking in the light, that's a choice. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You believe that? You will never, ever, ever have victory unless you claim that. But you have to choose to walk in the light. That's a choice that involves obedience. In 1 John 1, 9 needs to be put in the context of 1 John 1, 7. True confession, homo legeo, 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 logos to say or a word, homo the same. When you confess, you're saying the same thing that God says about your sin. You're not making excuses for it. You're not saying, she made me do it. He made me do it. You're not coming up with some rationalization, which is nothing more than a rational lie. You're taking ownership for your sin. And when you truly, genuinely confess it, it involves a change of attitude or action such that you're choosing to walk in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of the Lord Jesus will cleanse you from every sin. But listen, you're trying to fight sin with unconfessed, unrepented sin in your heart is like trying to move the rock of Gibraltar with snowballs. It is absolutely impossible. And this morning, if you're holding on to some sin, some grudge, some lust, some point of anger in your heart, you are inviting the devil to defeat you. 
If you've been saved, then legally, eternally, you have forever been declared righteous in His sight, and nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But experientially, not in terms of your justification, but your sanctification, if there's unconfessed, unrepented sin in the human heart, you are going to be defeated We read it this morning in the pastoral prayer. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Ephesians 4 commands us not to give the devil an opportunity. The word opportunity was a first-century military term. You could render it, don't give the devil a beachhead. You give him a base of operations to wreck your life. When you harbor sin in your heart, and so the first of these three reasons that these tribulation saints were victorious that we can employ today is they use the blood of Christ. But there's a second reason. They use the word of their testimony. Write it down. They use the word of their testimony. Look again at verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Have you ever thought about the truth, how the word of your testimony is a mighty power to overcome Satan? Now, in the Greek New Testament, what's emphasized, what's emphatic is not their testimony, but the word, the logos, because of the word they had victory. You see, you might read this and think, well, it's my faithfulness, it's my personal testimony that gives me credibility before God. No, it's the logos, the word of your testimony. There is the living word, the Lord Jesus in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word became flesh. But then there's the written logos. That's what he's speaking about here. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of God, which they had borne testimony to. That's the sense of the original. Now, think your way through this. The Bible is crystal clear that the sharing or testifying of the Word of Christ is what brings about conversion in the human heart. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Sometimes Christians will say, well, I live in such a way, I witness in such a way that people will look at my life and want to become a Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. People don't become a Christian by looking at your life. They have to hear the logos, the word of testimony. Your lifestyle can bring no one to faith in Christ. Now, it might give you a platform in which to share the Lord Jesus, but the power is not in your lifestyle. The power is in the word of your testimony, the word of God which is alive. And so Jesus tells a parable of a farmer who goes out and sows seed, and he describes different kinds of soil. And three out of the four soils, the seed takes no root because of different aspects of rebellion in the heart. But some of that seed, and if you sow it long enough and faithfully enough, you'll see seed hit on good hearts, and people will be saved. You know, every once in a while, you see someone come down here and say they give their life to Jesus. Sometimes I've shared with three people for that one person before they gave their life to Christ. But some of us never have ever seen anyone come to Christ. Or we seldom see someone come to Christ. You know why? Because we sow a little seed. You sow a little seed, you see a little harvest. 
You sow a lot of seed, sooner or later, some of that seed's going to hit some good soil. Listen, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that is alive, that has tremendous power. And I'm going to link it to our victory here in a moment, but stay with me. Think your way through this. How is it that someone is born again? Peter said, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding Word of God. You see, in the physical realm, I was born of perishable seed. My father, Richard John Brogy, is dead. And his father is dead, and his father's father's dead, and I come from a long line of dead Brogies. I come from perishable seed. But there's a part of me that will experience not eternal life, but uh, not eternal death, but eternal life in a glorified body because I was born a second time through imperishable seed, of incorruptible seed. James said it this way in James 1.18. By his choice, he gave us new birth. That's the second birth. He gave us new birth by the word of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. The instrument the Spirit of God used to create faith in your heart that you might be forever saved was the written Word of God. So on the one hand, John 3 says we're born again by the Spirit. On the other hand, 1 Peter, James, and other passages teach we're born again by the Word of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about the new birth. Don't try to win people to Christ just by telling about how good God is to you. At some point, you need to give them the plan of salvation because the power is not in your testimony. It is in the Word of God which is alive, and that is what is going to change a person's life. No one ever will be in heaven apart from the Word of God, even in the Old Testament, before the Scripture was even recorded by Moses. People were saved through the Word of God. Now, granted, at that point, it came in many portions and in many ways, through dreams or visions. The Bible tells us Jesus taught it. We didn't know it otherwise, that the very first prophet in all the Bible is Abel. Abel preached Messiah. That's what Peter tells us in Acts 10. How did he preach the Messiah? Because it was revealed to him. He, unlike Cain, by the kind of offering he gave, preached that salvation comes through the blood of the Messiah. Don't believe this liberal theology that came out of 19th century liberal German and French theology. It's not true that the difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifices, one brought his best and the other brought his second best. The Scripture doesn't reveal that. What had God revealed up to this time? That man must come on the basis of blood, that Adam and Eve could not cover their sin with their own fig leaves by the work of their hands, that Sin deserves death, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so God provided skins of animals. The first death took place in the universe, and Abel used that as a testimony to proclaim the coming Messiah. Look, no one ever has ever been saved apart from the revelation of God in Christ. These people were overcoming the devil by the word of their testimony. And we, too, can see the power of God in our own lives when we are faithful in telling others about the risen Savior. To listen again to today's message, Part 1 of Israel's Great Escape, 
Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order this message on CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and asking for program REV30. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayerful and financial support of listeners like you. Tomorrow, the conclusion of Israel's Great Escape. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures.